My name is Randy Tabor. I'm the minister of Olivet United Methodist Church. We welcome you by way of television and radio and iPod and all means of communication. We consider it a real privilege to come into your home. Some of you have chosen to have me as your clergy when, when the time comes for a loved one to be buried. We do hope that you would choose to worship with us prior to that that timing of a death in your family, but we do consider it a real privilege to be able to worship with you today, and, and I say worship with you because you're joining us. Uh, you may not be able to see us, but at least you can hear us. We'd like to begin in a word of prayer now. Father, I just want to thank you that uh, the faithful ministry of those who provide this service to make it possible on the airways. You have reminded us that the prince of this world is Satan and even the airways you dominate, that our warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against principalities and powers and forces. And Lord, we, we come against those principalities and powers and forces, and we, we pray that we may exercise our faith, we may bring the good news of Jesus Christ. And as we look to you this morning, Lord, we look to the fact of the scripture that's mindful of us to be disciples. And as Kurt and Mike make their way forward today and get stationed, we ask a special blessing on Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, that remind us of the importance of sharing our faith. The beginning of Mark, Mark, Chapter 1, verses 14 through 20, remind us of the necessity of sharing our faith and that we are called to be the light of the world, uh, the salt, the leaven. And we pray that we may be faithful in dispensing the truth. We thank you that we are one of the few remaining television stations. And we we praise the Lord for the, the Comcast. And we praise the Lord for chapter... Channel 20 that makes this presentation possible in the radio stations and the iPods and the Facebooks and we thank you Father for those who make this possible. We realize there's a force out there and they call themselves faithful Americans. In this group, this group, faithful Americans, they, they monitor what I say and what I do and what I share. And I've had confrontations with them. I call them the faithless, the faithless America or the unfaithful American. Because that group that terms themselves faithful Americans are actually in the process of getting petitions, some 22,000 signed petitions calling for the Reverend Franklin Graham to be fired from his leading roles at the, at the Christian Humanitarian Samaritan's Purse, as well as the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association because of his support for the former President Donald Trump. This so-called group, which is growing in numbers, the Faithful American Petition, they, they rebuked Franklin Graham, the, the son of Dr. Billy Graham, for his endorsement of Trump's deadly so-called presidency. And they described the son, Franklin Graham, 
of the late evangelistic Billy Graham as a blasphemous, blasphemous preacher. And it's no wonder that the failed coup at the U.S. Capitol featured crosses and, and Jesus saves banners and flags. And, and the petition stated that Graham and the religious right should be held accountable for this deadly dishonesty. Samaritan's Purse, which we have supported as long as, I, as I've been a minister here and in the ministry and other locations, this charity for which the Graham serves as president has, in the age of the coronavirus pandemic, erected several field hospitals in cities around the United States, supplementing the, the care provided at hospitals where healthcare workers are stretched thin. And the many countless thousands and millions that have been touched spiritually by the Decision magazine. If they get to Franklin Graham, we are the next in line. As many of the evangelists have said uh, that are on the front lines of Christianity, when they destroy the cause of Christ, then they're going to come for us. During the, the reign of Hitler, Hitler came for the Jews and the Protestants and the Catholics said, well, let somebody else protect the Jews. When Nazism destroyed, attempted to destroy some six million Jews, they started coming from the, for the Lutherans. Then they came for the other Protestants, the Nazi, the National Liberation Party, Help us to be very leery of terms like liberation theology and progressives. We are fighting in a day and age many principalities and powers and forces. Reveal us today, Lord. We ask your blessings upon the scripture that is to be studied today. Mark chapter 1, verses 14-20. We thank you those by way of the airways as they reach out and follow along in their Bibles. Within our bulletins, we have the scripture and we encourage our congregation to follow along because this portion of scripture talks about the beginning of the Galilean ministry of Jesus Christ and how Jesus called the first disciples. Bless now the reading and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, as you taught us to pray, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Well, greetings, loved ones. Greetings. I pray we are open and worthy enough servants through Jesus to receive this kind of godly word bestowed on each of us. Reading from the Gospel according to Mark, first chapter, starting verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, 
and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe it is the gospel. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Praise God for the word. With God, all things are possible. Hallelujah. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. The first thing we saw in today's passage was John the Baptist. He was arrested. We can realize that today's passage has two parts. The first part was the first two verses we read and regard preaching the gospel. The second part is in verses 17 through 20. These verses show Jesus choosing his disciples. Realize that Jesus preaches the same message as the forerunner did, John the Baptist. That message is, repent. After John's arrest, Jesus moved forward and continued evangelizing. This certainly is not indifference on the Lord's part. He simply continues the mission that he came to earth to accomplish. Next, we see Jesus finding his apostles as he travels along the shores of Lake Galilee. Galilee can be translated the wheel or revolution. Much of Jesus' life took place in Galilee. It was about five miles south of Jerusalem, and he lived there for 30 years. He ministered extensively there, and furthermore, his death and resurrection occurred in Galilee. It was here he spoke 19 of his 32 parables and performed five of his 33 miracles. When we read verse 16, we should know there are two biblically words used for time. The first word is chronos, which is our understanding of time. Here to there, stuff we do is in between. The word used here in this verse is kairos. This word is used when we say something like, oh, someday my ship's coming in. When, when Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, he is not speaking geographically. He's speaking generally in God's sovereignty over everything on the earth, both then in biblical times and now. It should be known that all of the apostles, every single one of them, were Galileans by their birth or residence. As Jesus walked along the Sea of Galilee, he came across Andrew and Simon. Simon was later named Peter. And they were both fishermen. He says, follow me, and you will become fishermen of men. They dropped their nets and followed him. Further down the shoreline, he sees Simon and Andrew fishing. He called them, and they left their boats, along with their father and their servants in the boat. It wasn't such a big cultural deal to walk, walk away from your job back then, 
What was a big deal, though, is walking away from his father and his servants. They didn't know where they were going, these disciples that were called by Jesus. They did not, had no idea what was going on. But you know what? They felt the tug in their hearts to follow him, and they did so. They didn't know where they were going, but they showed trust in Jesus. And they said, Jesus, by following, they said, Jesus, wherever you go, I want to go. I pray the Lord, every single person within the sound of my voice says and thinks like that when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. An optional note I have here is uh, some older biblical translations have written the word gospel, translated it good news. Both translate to the word ungilian, which literally means good or beautiful message. Thank you. Have a blessed day. And go, go back home. Hey, amen. Sorry to try to throw that in. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kurt, and thank you, Mike. And certainly we're pulling for the Packards, I think. Packards talked to Tom Brady's grandfather on a number of occasions. And I think I shared with you when I talked with him, his Gordon Johnson was his grandfather. He was um, worked with my dad at the Barbro Milk Plant, and then later on he was in the nursing home. His wife was in the nursing home with my grandmother, and then George was hospitalized in the nursing home. At I said, "Has Tom Tom ever came to see him?" He said, "No." He's too busy. He never comes and sees me. Um, you know, I guess that's part of being kind of famous. You know, you just got to pick and choose how you use your time. We find in the, the gospel lesson today um, some interesting dynamics that are going on, and we can use those dynamics in our own lives. Mark, in the beginning here, um, it's unlike Luke and, and Matthew beginning the Christmas story. Mark reveals and doesn't waste words in getting to the, the heart of the message here. The Baptist, John the Baptist arrest reminds us of dangers as Jesus comes proclaiming God's kingdom. There's a danger that's, that Christians are encountering. If you follow um, Christian news, they document the fact that there's more Christians being persecuted and killed in, in the current decade than any other decade in, in Christianity, even the decade of, that followed the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And because the reign of God comes near, People are, are, are called to change their thinking and, and becoming a part of that, that movement. Many thought, like even myself, that became involved in the Jesus movement in the late 60s, and I changed my major from medicine to ministry, um, which was at the time a great disappointment to many of the my support group, my parents, my family, and, and but I just felt that after I made a decision for Christ during the Jesus movement that I needed to go into the practice of ministry rather than medicine. 
And even today, Jesus calls, we find in the scripture, he calls these four fishermen to be the first of many, to be an instrument of the reconciliation that, that Jesus brings. Mark, Mark here doesn't, doesn't, doesn't mess around when he tells the story of Jesus. Mark started his gospel in the first chapter here of Mark with John the Baptist and the Baptist message and he told about Jesus' baptism and temptation by Satan like you and I are being tested and tempted by Satan today and in our affiliations with those who may have a worldview versus a biblical biblical view on the world. And in today's passage, he continues with, with, with his message, and he says, after John was arrested. And he moves on to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Mark does. And the men mention of John the Baptist isn't just a, a reminder of these previous verses. John had been arrested. And a little bit later in Mark's gospel, we, we get the de details later. But now this is a reminder that proclaiming God's message is dangerous. Jesus forewarned his disciples, and he forewarns you and I today, that we're going to be involved in a dangerous, dangerous mission field. If we are truly the light, if we are truly the salt, if we are truly the genuine, the authentic Christian, and John was forewarned about this risky business, like we are called to realize that Christianity will become a risky business. Powerful people opposed them because of what they do. That's the um, climate in which Jesus begins his ministry. And it's a climate in which you and I live. He doesn't start out as a pastor of a very nice, quiet congregation where not much is happening. So Jesus came, it says, to Galilee. And Galilee was the northern part of Israel, away from all the centers of power. And it isn't Jerusalem that he came to. Jerusalem was always intended to be the capital of Israel. And he didn't go to the capital of Israel. It's but he went to Galilee. It's largely rural, and, and lot, a lot of Gentiles, non-Jews, lived there. And, and there Jesus begins, it says, proclaiming the good news. And the Greek word for proclaim is related to the word for herald. You are a heralder of this truth a messenger who runs into a city with important news about a battle or, or events in the capital city. It's like the old town crier standing in the village square and shouting, Hear ye, 
Hear ye. Hear ye, hear ye, and announcing the news. Now, Jesus isn't um, passing through on some religious information or, or by a rule, but he's proclaiming, he's preaching good news. It's about something that's happening that people need to immediately know about. And it's good news. The Greek word that's used means good message. Good message. Say it with me. Good message. It's gospel, which means precisely good news. And to the people of Galilee, which was ruled by foreigners and oppressed by taxation, they looked down on on the so-called sophisticated Jews of the day. Now, let me... um, let me tell you what it what amazes me about this story. What amazes Randy Tabor about this story was Jesus was looking for disciples. Is that right? He was looking for disciples. So did he go to the local synagogue? He didn't go to the local synagogue or the church or the temple. Well, did Jesus recruit followers from the best of Galilee's rabbinical schools? No. Was he um, about combing the quarters of the temple or maybe the national site for some pious, hot prospects? Negative. Jesus began his search for disciples, followers, by heading down to the docks. To the docks. The folks with withered skin and, and dirt under their fingernails were the, the prime picks. The prime picks of Jesus. People who knew something about hard labor with little or no rewards. The kind of folks who, who will never run any awards for their sense of religious awareness. Are you surprised like myself? If so, I, I wouldn't understand why. Well, number one this morning, after all, The Apostle Paul himself wrote of the church, the early church, think of what you were when you were called. Think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. Jesus began his campaign for followers by choosing some very, very, very common folk. They were dog folk. They were fishers, fishermen and women. Why, why should God choose such common stock for, for sainthood? According to the Apostle Paul, it was to shame, to shame the wise and, and the strong of this world, to make things that seem important look unimportant. 
but mostly it was so that no one could boast. No one could boast before God. Now, boasting is a big problem in the church. Well, actually, it didn't begin with the church. It started with the disciples. They argued about who was the greatest to the point of taking pot shots at one another. And Jesus said that, Jesus said, what? He said, whosoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Slave of all. After all, we have um, little reason to um, boast. In the words of Paul, it, it's because of God that you are in Christ Jesus. In other words, as Jesus once said, you did not choose me, but I first chose you. The Holy Spirit was working on you, and you submitted to the Holy Spirit. And one day Jesus took a stroll, the scripture says, by the docks, and he said to some very common laborers, follow me. So often I've heard persons in the church say, and I'm sure you've heard persons in the church say, I, I can't serve that way. I'm not just cut out to serve. I need to pray about that for a few years or a few decades before I say yes. Well, maybe, maybe not, but then again, who is really ready? Christ not, does not call us for our abilities, but our availabilities, you've heard me say many times. Do you honestly, do you honestly believe that, that some old, salty person like Peter thought for one minute that his name and his fame would, would be remembered for for over 2,000 years, Peter. And Lord knows the other disciples were anything but cut from the fabric of saintly silk. We're not talking about theological whiz kids here, you know. Those guys were former hard hats and hand-to-mouth workers, yet despite all that Jesus said, follow me. Housewives, home builders, teachers, and truck drivers, the stuff of which the church today is made of. Secondly, discipleship is not about our potential or our power. It's, however, about Christ's promise and his presence. Let me say that again. Discipleship is not about potential or power. It's, however, about Christ's promise, his promise and his presence. And we don't qualify for the position by padding our resumes with extravagant attributes. Common folk become Christ followers. And that is because of the act of sheer grace 
It's not about us, it's about Christ in us, which is the hope of glory. Still we sometimes worry, don't we? I mean, we fret about the ambition, and ambition burns within our breasts. We, we want to be something. We desire to become somebodies. Perhaps we dream of the day when we'll make our mark on the world. I remember one episode of Little House on the Prairie where Charles feels that being a faithful husband and a faithful church member and a faithful to his children. And he says he needs to make his mark on the world. So he goes from Walnut Grove to Minneapolis and he gets involved in making chairs and tables and so he can put his stamp of Ingalls on it. But during that time of separation from his family, he realizes that to make a mark in the world is not as important as making a mark on his family of being faithful into his church. And then that particular episode jumps a number of years ahead in, in our modern time, and a couple people are at, are at an auction, and they buy one of those tables and chairs, and they see that stamp of Ingalls on it, and they say, who is Ingalls? Who is Ingalls? No one seems to know. Still, we sometimes worry, don't we? Um, we, may, we may fret about the ambition that that burns on our breast. We want to be somebody or something. We, perhaps we dream of the day when we'll make our mark on this world. And sometimes without eating our lunch from our paper bags, we dream of corporate deals and black tie dinners. We want to be remembered for something more than our dedication to the drudgery of a maybe a nine to five job and 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 somehow this desire gets under our our Christian skin as well and we want to do something striking for the Lord we we hope our contribution will be significant we yearn for our devotion to be more dynamic but Jesus seems to be unimpressed by all of that I suppose Jesus not searching for superstars, but he looks to me like the Jesus is scanning the crowds of, of common people, looking only for some faithful followers. Faithful followers. Not our abilities, but our availabilities. Whenever Jesus calls us to follow, there's this element of the unknown. We never know in advance where following Jesus will take us. I know when I ventured into the ministry personally, I thought eight years was so long. And then to go another five for my doctorate, I thought, why? But you, you and I, we realize sometimes the mission field is the hospital room. I never forget the time that Joyce and I think Mike and Nona came to the hospital 
where I had a blood clot in my, from my groin to my leg, and I had open-heart surgery, and, and I heard a discussion outside the door, and the nurses and doctors were saying, you know, he's in no condition to have visitors. And I thought to myself, no, let him in, let him in. They went through all the trouble of parking at North Memorial and finding what room I was in, let him in, let him in. But no way, they said. Sometimes the hospital room where a respirator pumps life into a loved one or a friend. Sometimes you and I are at the kitchen table where a neighbor's tears belie a marriage torn by certain sadnesses and madnesses. Maybe it's the lunchroom where a fellow employee lays their heart in your hands. Whenever Jesus says, follow me, we, you and I, are drawn into a world of, of dark uncertainties and, and deep passions. Perhaps that's why it requires faith to be a follower of Jesus. Faith assures us that, that no matter where we are called to serve, Christ is, is always one step, one step ahead. Even more importantly, because Christ is always there before us, we needn't, needn't reply and rely on our own strength or ability or character alone to see us through. Just remember what Jesus promised those first followers. He said, I will make you fishers, fishers of men and women, boys and girls, if you only yield to me, trust in me. And then thirdly, faith, faith empowers us to enter this most, the most unlikely sometimes, the, the most ungodly circumstances with the sense of maybe not self-confidence, but God-confidence. Con but only because we follow Jesus who said and says, I will make you, I will make you, I will make you a powerful prayer-er, prayer-er. I will make you a competent spiritual counselor I will make you a committed Christian. I will make you committed because we follow Christ. Christ makes us what we need to be, and we need to be it. I just had the thought that came into my mind, the picture of Clarice's parents and sitting in the back, and I believe it was her mother that approached me at the end of the service and, and said, you think you need Clarice. And Clarice's mother says, Clarice needs you. There were a lot of lessons, a lot of money that was spent on Clarice's education. Now when Christ comes to us with his call to serve, whether to play the organ or the piano or to usher or or to be an officer of this church, or to take up public worship, or to make sure the church is properly ordained for 
special occasions like Christmas, and then prospect of taking down and all the little elements and maybe picking up the paper and just cleaning up the church and so many things that they're all part of being part of the body of Christ. I, now when Christ comes to us with his call to serve, it's, it's rarely in those moments that we might consider convenient. Maybe Christ will suddenly call you to minister to the person who sits opposite you or the board meeting or at any particular occasion. Perhaps Jesus will ask you to reach out to some troubled, troubled senior citizen or troubled teenager. Maybe the, the man or the woman who works beside you or lives next to you will one day confide in you that that his or her heart is aching and her family and marriage is breaking up, then Christ will call on you to show that person compassion. And lastly, this morning, as a, a witness for Christ, whenever we follow Christ, we, we must leave something, something like ourselves, sometimes someone, is left behind, and seldom is that easy, because the call of Christ is never, never ending. We, we are time and again asked to relinquish one thing so that we can more effectively embrace another. And it could be the comfort of the familiar, it could be the security of, of family, or it could be a promising future. It could be something, um, as major as a promotion, or it might be something as minor as a much-needed lunch break. Maybe that's, that's why he once said, whoever does not take up the cross of compassionate commitment and follow me is not worthy of me. You think perhaps a denial of self has something to do with discipleship? Those four followers, perhaps the denial of self has something to do with discipleship. Those four followers from the shores of Lake Galilee were quite content tossing and mending their nets. They were satisfied with the dock work and the fishing. And then along came this itinerant preacher of only 30 years of life, who very few knew was a carpenter. And he says, I will make you. I will make you. And that's the word make is, is, is a term develop. I will develop in you the abilities to be fishers of men and women, boys and girls. And they were promised nothing more than a lifetime of, of distractions. A lifetime of distractions. Time after time, he denied himself by being distracted by, by some other person's need. I guess you could say Jesus was distracted. He was distracted to death, even death on a cross. And because the call, follow me, will come, and when it does 
come, it really makes little difference what we are doing five minutes prior to Christ's plea. And, but believe me, it, it makes all the difference in this world that you respond. And maybe even more so in the next, when we are found, what we are found doing, what we are found doing five minutes after that call of Christ comes. Father, this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, we, we pray that we may hear your voice. And then on hearing your voice, we may be found faithful to respond. Earlier, we heard of some 22,000 people that have already signed a petition calling for the Reverend Billy Graham to be fired from his leading roles at the Christian Humanitarian Samaritan's Purse, as well as from the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association because of Franklin Graham's support for former President Donald Trump. The faithful, so-called the Faithful American Petition, which I believe formerly was called an atheist organization, rebuked Graham for his endorsement of Trump's deadly presidency and described the son of the late evangelist Billy Graham as a blasphemous, a blasphemous preacher. And they say it's no wonder the failed coup at the U.S. Capitol featured crosses and Jesus saved banners and flags. And the petition further stated Graham and the religious right should be held accountable for this deadly dishonesty with Christianity. And they began to curse Samaritan's Purse, the charity for which Graham serves as president, has, in the age of the Cronus pandemic, erected several field hospitals in cities around the United States, supplementing the care provided at hospitals where health care workers are stretched thin. Help us to realize that much as the Jewish persecution of Jews during Hitler's reign, that socialist, that Marxist, and communist, who initially came under the disguise of Christianity. Adolf Hitler, he came for the Jews and the Protestants and the Catholics said, why should we worry? And after the Jews, he started coming for the Lutherans. And he tried to inspire even church members to hail Hitler. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up, that Lutheran theologian of just 37 years old, and he says, this is not right. This is not right. Help us to be among the courageous, to stand up for the Bible, for the biblical view of of culture and Christianity and the divisive worldview of globalism. We realize that the nation of Israel, it's called a nation because it protects itself. Help us to be protective. Help us to be led of your spirit, O oh Lord with every head bowed and every eye closed, with Christians in prayer. May, may we all 
pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Take away our sin. Clean out our lives, our minds, our bodies, our souls and spirit. And we thank you, Jesus, that you take up residency in our lives. Amen. As we prepare for the doxology, if you'd be so kind to turn to the offertory prayer. Here at Olivet United Methodist Church, we, during the coronavirus, we are not circulating offering plates, but we ask you to make your donation at the exit of the church. For those who appreciate your ministry, you can support us by, by your prayers and your, your gifts by way of mail. Let us join in this offertory prayer printed in our bulletins. Generous God, we ask you to bless the gifts we give this morning. We ask that you help grow the trust in us, that we might follow without looking back, and that we might leave behind more of our old selves to experience more deeply new life in you. Help us to leave our nets on the shore. Leave those things that seemed essential before we heard the call so that we might travel the road you have put before us. In the name of Christ, who goes before us and beside us, we pray. Amen. Would you be so kind to stand with me for the doxology, please? Father God, we want to thank you for the privilege and the, the opportunity and help us not to take this for granted or make light of the fact that of our availability and the availability of this worship service. Help us to garner the strength to always stand up for the truths of, of the gospel. And now as we go forth in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, as we study that prayer of Jabez on Wednesday nights, bless us, O Lord. Bless us, O Lord, indeed. Expand our territory. May the hand of God be upon us. May no sin, sorrow, sickness, or sadness, or evil befall us. And may we cause no sin, sorrow, sickness, or sorrow, or harm to those that we come in contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Are there any announcements at this time? Yes, Mike. I think I was sitting here going through our excellent sermon and stuff. Something was given to me, and I wanted to share. I had to share. We have before us an outline of Jesus. And what we, what we all should and need to do is step into that silhouette. But you know what? 
You got a big chunk of selfishness on your shoulder. Brush it off. Around your, around your waist, selfishness. Drop it off. Your feet might be too big to fit in the hole because of greed. Jesus Christ is going to help you remove everything you need to get rid of to fit into his mold. Thank you, Lord, for giving me this revelation. That's what I want to share. Amen. Thank you, Mike. Any other questions or announcements to make? So good to see Tina out and about and feeling good today. And Joyce, you're doing well. Amen. Thank you. Robin, sometimes those who share from the upstairs, it kind of um, is muffled by the lights, but I think the majority of you got that. What I'd like you all to do is turn around and look in the loft, and according to the tune of happy birthday, we substitute happy anniversary. To the couple up there, that's 60 years. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary to you. Happy anniversary, Kevin and Darwin. Happy anniversary to you. And they don't look a day past 60. Amen. Thank you all. And Jeannie and Joe, you want to come forward and start giving some orders here? And if you can stay to help move some boxes and items, the two living evergreens will will stay on the altar, I believe. That, uh, that um, was given by um, Ethel Bartella in remembrance of Lawrence, and that's, I think living is fine. So again, we'll see you all by Zoom Wednesday night or, or during the week or next Sunday. Thank you.